Welcome to Physician Founded, a How It's Med mini-series sponsored by Macadamia, where we get to know the stories behind the leading physician innovators of today. On today's episode of Physician Founded, we welcome Dr. Arash Zohor. Dr. Zohor is a community, family, and emergency physician who founded Inkblot Therapy, an online marketplace where certified therapists and coaches can connect with patients easily and online. I think you forgot to mention that Inkblot recently got acquired by Greenshield. That's a pretty big accomplishment. Back to the biz though. In our chat, we found that Dr. Zuhur is no stranger to learning. You know, he's read everything about marketing and how to build teams. And he also has this incredible humility and insight into why it's important to build a strong team as a physician innovator. We had a lot of fun chatting with Dr. Zuhur and hearing his story. I hope that you find it just as fun as we did. Let's get started. I guess one of the questions that we usually start with for conversations like this is to ask our invitee a little bit about their childhood and how they ended up from their childhood to where they are now. So can you tell us a little bit about that story for us? Wow, childhood. That, that's, uh, that, I, 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 I suddenly felt quite old. Um, <laughs> so I, I grew up in the Middle East uh, and I was there for 10 years. I immigrated to Canada. Um, about 30 years ago. So I did most of my, um, most of my school in, in the Toronto suburban area and, and it was great. I went to, um, university of Toronto for undergrad. Um, and then I went to Western for medical school and, um, afterwards I was in McMaster for residency for family medicine residency. And the story kind of became complex from there. So I was involved with multiple projects. Um, leadership positions within the hospital, uh, my clinical practice, and then starting various projects, uh, on the side, which, uh, started to grow from there. So I would say that's been my career trajectory. Um, the biggest one of course was five years ago, uh, with a mental health startup, uh, that eventually, um, forced me to kind of stop doing everything else that I was doing and really focus, uh, mostly on it. Um, and that grew over the last five years and, um, and I, and, and I exited that about a month ago or so ago. I'm happy to dig into any of that in any detail that you want. Yeah, of course. Uh, I, I don't want to get right to the meat of things with Inkblot just right away, but are there any experiences before you founded Inkblot that led you to the founding and you think were key or are key to making you who you are now and to your successes? I, I would say as most people, I've had a diverse set of interests. Um, uh, you know, as with a lot of people that I find uh, in healthcare, my focus has really been to move towards pain. Um, so it's, it's, a, it's probably a condition that we all share and, and it's not healthy for any of us. Um, and so within the medical world that has been, you know, extending, um, the things that I need to do to match what my patients need and, and extending my, my focus as well, uh, both within medicine, and outside of medicine. So I've always, uh, enjoyed technology and really focusing on learning more and developing that, um, a lot of things that I had no knowledge of, I've worked really hard to learn about marketing, sales, data analytics, et cetera. Um, so for me, it's been the, the defining feature of my life really has been to explore things that make me uncomfortable and really push towards those. So at any given point in time, 
really my guiding uh, forces. What, what am I shying away from? What do I feel uncomfortable with? And uh, how can I become more and more comfortable with that, um, both within career and within life? That's great. You brought up, um, you know, some topics there around the realm of business, and we'll get into that a little bit later. Uh, but I just want to ask, where in the Middle East did you grow up? I grew up in Iran. I grew up um, kind of central uh, area and as well on the, the border between Iran and Iraq. So I, I was born when the war started between those two countries. Um, so it's, it was, I don't know whether it shaped my, my younger self, but, you know, school was canceled for a lot and a lot of it was just play and figuring out things and playing outside and so on. So, um, I, I've had a lot less structure to my childhood, I would say, than most people do growing up here. Well, that sort of explains the under, you know, being comfortable with, um, being uncomfortable that, that sort of. I guess maybe speaks to that to some extent, but you know, to segue into sort of what we're uh, dealing with now is also, you know, a, a, a space of a lot of discomfort is this pandemic. And we've been seeing a, you know, a rise in cases of anxiety and stress due to this pandemic. And to, this was according to just what every publication out there, I was just reading an article about this this morning on medical news today, just, you know, from your vantage, how has this pandemic worsened mental health challenges? Um, I, I think it's worsened mental health challenges on, uh, on all fronts. So I think for those who have had pre-existing mental health difficulties, uh, it has exacerbated it. I think initially when it, when it started, a lot of people who have underlying anxiety don't like leaving their home. And in fact, you know, some of them felt this was a good thing. Now everybody else was in the same boat and didn't, they didn't feel that un, uh, unusual. Um, but of course, the inability to leave your house into anxiety doesn't mean you don't want to leave your house. Um, so the, the, even, even those who had conditions um, beforehand really struggled. The, those who treat people with mental health conditions, so counselors, physicians, also have struggled. So a lot of clinicians had to close their offices, were unable to continue seeing their clients, um, and struggled to kind of provide robust care especially in an era where they themselves felt quite stressed. They were unable to, you know, meet uh, the needs of, you know, their businesses of paying rent and, and so on and so forth. And then the whole world as a whole has been in an anxious, depressed state. Um, the, the, so, so, you know, whether it's politically, whether it's culturally, whether it's economically, uh, whether it's employment, unemployment, we live in very difficult and abnormal times. We live in crisis. Um, so however you define it, there are very few people who have not felt the touch of this crisis. Mm. So I would say from my vantage point, both those, both the public and those who normally help the public, uh, are, are struggling uh, on many different fronts, which creates a very, uh, difficult situation. Right. And, and you know, this sort of gets right into it, like into Inkblot, Inkblot um, is a platform where, you know, individuals can seek psychotherapy online in a remote space. And this idea didn't come to fruition during the pandemic. This is something you had prior to the pandemic yet, you know, I can imagine that it's probably very helpful nowadays, you know, now that we're all kind of living in this remote virtual world, how has Inkblot helped, uh, you know, tackle some of the challenges people are facing now around mental health? Yeah. So when, when I started this five years ago, 
the major reason for it was to reduce the cost of mental health care. So it was very unusual in the public sector. Uh, I had difficulty getting my patients robust care long-term. Um, and you know, it took months and it was a few weeks and a few sessions In the private sector, you had all these highly trained and experienced professional, uh, psychotherapists and counselors looking for work, 70% of them unable to work full time because they didn't have enough work. So initially five years ago, what I saw was this mismatch between the public and private sector in Canada and the, and, and the goal really was to use technology to reduce the overhead for professionals to make it more accessible to the public. So the goal was to provide the same robust care at half the price um, to the public sector and then uh, and those who normally wouldn't have benefits or, or you know, coverage and so on. Um, and as well, because mental health tends to be a chronic condition like asthma, for example, um, it really does require long-term care. And, and when people have um, you know, stressors and exacerbations, kind of they need more care during those times. Um, so the goal initially was to really bring a, a more robust long-term solution uh, to every Canadian and make it a lot more affordable and accessible. And of course, when the pandemic started, then we also, then that's um, kind of really uh, made the solution more robust and, and more applicable for everyone. Um, and we, and, and, and especially providers, because now mental health care providers who normally would only see their clients in their office had to move digital to provide, continue to provide care. So our goal became to provide them with robust solutions and affordable price. Um, and then the average Canadian, a lot of them would have never used technology before, would have never used an app or their phone. This, this was all new to a lot of people um, and making sure that we, we made it super easy and comfortable and easy for them to use. So, um, you know, the, 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 the pandemic kind of added additional layers of value uh, and focus for us in terms of the care and service we provide. And I think that's super interesting, but I want to go a little bit back into the story of Inkblot before we go forward to the times as to how the pandemic has impacted uh, Inkblot and Canadians and psychotherapists, health, mental health care providers uh, alike. Five years ago, virtual care wasn't widely adopted. We've seen this massive spike in virtual care adoption recently because of the pandemic. But from you, starting from ground zero, what was what was the first block that you had to put into place to build this organization, this startup that you, you built from ground up? And what were the subsequent steps and challenges that you noted were particularly difficult to overcome or easy for you to overcome based off your past experiences? Um, the the it's it's you know it's five years, but it feels like fifty. So it's been it's been a quite a long journey. Um, when we started the, you know, the first, the first task was really to build a proof of concept. I had no intention of, um, you know, building a startup. The, the, the goal was to just see whether this was in a way of, of providing care, uh, for my patients. I was probably the biggest critic. I, you know, when I see patients in office, I spend a lot of time focusing on the micro expressions and on, on their body language on, um, you know, just understanding kind of which threads of conversations to follow. Um, so for me, I had a hard time believing in, in telemedicine and telehealth. I, I didn't feel that the care uh, could be as robust. Um, but yet the, the possibility of being able to provide better care to my patients 
at you know 80% the quality still was a, a strong value proposition. So if you know a lot of you know 25% of my patients couldn't afford the phone number um, and had you know long story long history of trauma and, and various other things. So for me, you know, I I I, I totally concur with a lot of people, a lot of physicians and clinicians who feel that it's not as good as seeing people in person, despite the evidence to the, to the contrary. So the evidence actually says it's similar, um, but I struggled with that. Um, so initially I would say that, you know, it was a matter of building the concept, feeling more and more comfortable and understanding both as a clinician, as well from a, from a user perspective, what, what the experience needs to be like. The other, the other thing that I would say was a big uh, blind spot was being a healthcare provider. The, you know, what, what we don't recognize, I would say is one, the, the, the kind of the marketplace business model of healthcare is extremely abnormal. It is a, a extremely skewed um, demand and um, kind of situation. Um, and, and so physicians and healthcare providers almost have a monopoly, which creates this unusual um, business dynamic. And, and we kind of, having been trained in it, feel that it's normal, but it's not. The second thing is that an individual's experience when they go see a healthcare provider is not the same as an online experience and, and behavior. When someone shows up in the office, they're kind of trapped. They're, they're you know, they go to the seat of physician, then they have to kind of go to the front, et cetera, et cetera. When someone's using a browser, they can just close that browser window um, and they're done. And they're, it's, a, it's a very, very different experience. Um, so it, it required me to really do my best to identify those blind spots, things that I knew clinicians would want, things that I felt uh, users would want, um, and really, really focus on what does the, what does the data show? What does that user behavior actually tell us. Um, initially, it was a bit anxiety provoking because we went down a lot of blind spots and, and, um, and roadblocks, but then it became super exciting because, you know, it allowed for a reinvention of, of how care is provided and, and the dynamics of that. So, um, you know, it allowed us to step back and say, okay, well, this is exciting. This is a new medium. Uh, what does healthcare look like in this medium? And, and not having to be bounded by traditional um, care mechanisms. Those were, I would say, the initial aspects. There was a lot of learning I had to do. I had to read hundreds of books on marketing and sales on, on things that before I didn't really appreciate the complexity of. And, um, and really having, you know, the, the ability to kind of say, I, I don't understand these things. And I do need to understand them and really learning those skills and finding mentors and so on. So a lot of it was uh, being excited about things that previously didn't excite me and, and finding ways of really learning those, those things. Um, I'm building the team. So I would say through time, um, I learned quite a lot and it was been a, quite an experience uh, kind of on the ground day to day, uh, figuring how all the pieces fit. You know, that, that brings up a, a great point around you brought up the, you know, the issue of building teams and how you had to read so much content around marketing. What were, what do you feel, you know, as a medical professional were some of the biggest, um, sort of like blind spots that you faced in launching Inkblot essentially as a business, what were some of the biggest challenges in that space? Um, and did you feel, you know, did you feel, was there certain, 
aspect of um, the realm of business that was more challenging than the other? Um, I, I, I would say that the, the, the thing that you don't recognize when you are a healthcare provider, when, when you're a physician, for example, is that you have magical branding. It's something that you don't recognize, but the healthcare professional has a lot of trust. It is the most well-branded establishment organization. And so um, that is something that people take for granted when they step outside of that. Um, so you may think that the healthcare, uh, mental healthcare issue is gigantic. And if we're able to provide twice the care at half the price, that, that things will get flooded. But that's not how things work because a new solution is not as trusted as the old solution, no matter how much increased value there is. And so there's a lot of work that needs to be done in building trust and marketing really is that, is how to bring trust uh, to a new solution. Yeah. There's a, there's a lot of aspects of it that are, are hard to, are, are not obvious, um, whether it comes in terms of acquiring uh, people to, to and, and bringing people to the platform, uh, making sure that, um, you know, customer service is, is robust. There's all these various aspects that go into it. The other thing is that in, in, in traditional care or in, in healthcare, um, the, the, the expectations of healthcare providers is very different than in the private sector. Um, and it, and this was really, you know, in, in, in the clinic, if I see someone and I'm concerned about a brain tumor and I order an MRI, it's acceptable if that MRI is done two or three weeks later. In, um, in the private sector, if someone emails you because something's not working, the expectation is a response within a few minutes or hours. Um, so there's also a very different set. And, and when you dig deeper as to why that the French show exists, you start to see traditional healthcare very differently uh, in terms of what's uh, the, the dynamics that play out. So there's a lot of different cultural aspects that, um, that require adaptation. And, and then there's a lot of other various uh, components to put together, uh, especially surrounding sales to companies. The last thing I'll say is that for us, when we expanded to the U.S., um, I had to learn a lot about the U.S. healthcare system, build out the network in the U.S., understand um, the various business models, the complexities across the various states, um, and so on. And, and that work was exciting. It was very eye-opening. Um, and, you know, having sessions where I spoke to healthcare providers across the U.S. Um, on a daily basis also allowed me to better really appreciate, um, you know, how culturally... Um, diverse each country is. And, and there's a lot of exciting stuff that you learn along the way that otherwise you would not, um, you would not gain. Yeah. You know, just in, in regards to the marketing aspect, what were some of like the tactics you used, um, to get Inkblot kind of out there? And, and, you know, you bring up the fact that a lot of our listeners have this as well. They have this going for them is the fact that they have that brand already. You know, a lot of them are doctors. Um, it, it, it create, it engenders a sense of trust which is powerful, but beyond that, what were some of, what did you do to kind of, uh, you know, sell Inkblot to market it to a larger audience? Um, the, the, you know, the, what it comes down to is oftentimes as a startup. So there, there's a very different, um, technique or, or, you know, a lot of, a lot of healthcare professionals have businesses 
and they're more in the in the industry called lifestyle businesses. So it's kind of them expanding, you know, hiring, building out their clinic, hiring more more staff, building out multiple clinics and locations. Um, and those are very traditional, um, fantastic businesses. A startup is is um, different. In a startup, you're trying to scale geographically as fast as possible, um, and and really it becomes a volume game. And and it's a very different type of business um, where you're you're really seeking for that exponential curve. Um, and I, and I highlight this because they're they're both fantastically valid and and great ways of of taking care of people and and growing uh, businesses, but. If your goal is to get exponential growth, um, then you really need to have a very robust uh, go-to-market strategy. And uh, when it comes to that, the, the, the most, the most well-established is to piggyback on already trusted uh, relationships. So for us, for example, it became a matter of sorting out channel partners. So in direct-to-consumer, I faxed thousands of family physicians across the country. And, uh, and I said, listen, like, this is something that we've started. Uh, we have very strong quality control. We highly believe in it. Consider sending your patients, see how what their experience is like. Um, and that actually had the best outcome. People trust their family physicians. If their family physician says use this service, then um, you know, the, the, the responses were great. When it came to selling to businesses, um, working with um, insurance brokers and, and benefit providers was really the, the, the strategy to go. It also allows you to exponentiate. So when you bring on a new channel partner, that company, that organization has their own sales team that then goes out and sells your service and providers. So um, traditional ways of marketing, whether it's Facebook or Instagram and so on, typically don't work so well, so well for most things. Um, so it all depends on, on how you go about it and the service that you're, that you're looking to sell. It's possible, uh, but it's something to explore. For the most part, I would say the major strategy is the evidence-based medicine way. You form a hypothesis and you test it. You may assume that people on a Facebook ad will convert. You test this out. It probably will not. You test it on Instagram, it might expand that channel. So it becomes heavily focused on uh, running hundreds of experiments on various channels and gathering data and understanding which one works and then figuring out the curve. So just because something works well now, it doesn't mean that twice as much will produce twice as much outcome. Um, so you want to figure out where the sweet spot is for each channel and grow that. Thank you for listening to this episode of How It's Met. If you liked what you heard, please download and rate our episodes on whatever platform you listen on. Also, if you have any feedback on what you just heard, we'd love to hear it wherever you listen to or on our website, howitsmet.com. That way we can create better content that suits you. Till next time, bye-bye.